Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, it is Monday, September 12th, and today we're going to catch up on our favorite ongoing merger, Tesla Solar City, and then we're going to chat a bit about our favorite news articles from the past week. So, Chris, uh, Tesla Solar City, this is a company we talk about a lot, and that's because it always seems to have so many interesting things going on. Uh, we last talked about it on our July 14th podcast, Elon Musk's top secret plan, and since then he's revealed the plan and things have gotten really interesting. Uh, so the plan turned out to be he announced some new uh, – well, actually, the plan involved uh, Tesla expanding into all sorts of new things, self-driving trucks, auto-driving uh, 18-wheelers, introducing a robo-taxi service. And since then, he's sent Tesla employees an email pleading with them to show slight, slightly positive cash flow and profitability this quarter so that they could – throw a pie in the face of all the naysayers on Wall Street who keep insisting that Tesla will always be a money loser. And those are direct quotes. He's announced a new Tesla Model S that can go from 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds, what they're calling ludicrous speed, and it'll run about 300 miles on one charge. They came out with a proxy statement for the Solar City Tesla merger, and uh, the banker made a very small error where they double-counted Solar City's debt, and uh, it impacted the valuation by $4 per share, which uh, you know shares were valued at $24 per share. So so only 20% of the share price or so in the uh, in that mistake. And then lastly, uh, the Solar City stock is trading at a huge discount to where te- to where it would be worth if the Tesla deal closed. Shares trade at 18. They'd be worth at about, about 22 if the Tesla deal closes. That's 100% annualized if the deal closes by year end, which uh, 100% annualized is the stuff dreams are made of if the deal goes through. So tons of stuff in there. Chris, I'll let you start. Where, what do you want to talk about? You know, I'm... A fan of Elon Musk. I quite like him. I yep. quite like yep. Tesla's. I uh, am a uh, depo- I'm a depositor, not a shareholder. I think that uh, his cars are great. Uh, I uh, particularly like the Model S. Uh, but I'm wary as a investor of companies with charismatic CEOs. I think there's a big tendency to have them double counted. Mm-hmm. You know, if I say I've been CEO for a while and I have X cash flow, but I say it in a charismatic way. It's it's duplicative to give two points for that. You should get one point for that. You you have whatever qualities led to the cash flow. You know he was the basis for Iron Man, and I always think of the scene when Captain America said, "Take off the mask, and who are you?" And he said, "Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist." And that's kind of <laughs> Elon Musk. I mean, he has so many great things about him, but um, but I am a skeptic as an investor. Yep, yep. So look, Tesla is it's worth. Uh... Shoot, I, I can't, twenty billion plus or something is what Tesla's worth. A lot, and, and you don't value Tesla at twenty billion plus based on the cars they are producing today. You value Tesla at twenty billion plus because you see them. You know, Uber's valued at sixty billion, and the long term for Uber is self driving cars running a robot taxi. You value Tesla at, at twenty billion because you think they can be a competitor for the robot taxi with their autopilot, or you think they're going to be a dominant force in electric batteries, which have huge potential at, uh, to kind of replace utilities. But go ahead, go ahead. I was also going to say the, uh, the, other, the other skepticism that I have is deal advisors work for a transaction. Mm-hmm. Like their boss is the deal for all intents and purposes. And Lazard, you know, I was looking at this and my first reaction was, that's a big mistake. My second reaction is you take question mark and now you have question mark minus $4. But it occurred to me, I didn't really know what this company was worth 
before the mistake. So it's very hard to compute exactly what, uh, uh, you know, the, the range is so, so big that, you know, should the deal be recut? Should this affect the votes? Uh, it, it's very hard to know if this was the marginal difference. Or not. Yeah, I think the range, if I'm remembering correctly, was the range was something like five. Solar cities were somewhere between five dollars per share to forty dollars per share. So four dollars per share doesn't make a big difference. Right. But you know, the fact that they could be off by four dollars per share and it doesn't really impact anything, mm-hmm. it, it shows what a fine line that these firms are walking when they give these issues. You know, uh, a, a buyer hires a bank and a seller hires a bank. And the seller's job is to the seller's bank's job is to show the seller, hey, you should sell because you're not worth this month, this much. So your shareholders are getting a great deal. And the buyer's bank job is to show the buyer, hey, you should buy this company because the company's worth this or more. So you're get, getting a great deal. So there's some disconnect there. And you know, synergies a lot of times are used to bridge the gap. But we've talked a lot of times about how synergies can be very fungible. And the bank's jobs here is to kind of just show the numbers that get a deal that both sides want to get done done. There's huge conflicts of interest because banks get paid if the deal gets done. They don't really get paid much if the deal doesn't go on. Mm-hmm. So I think that covers the proxy. Why don't we yep. turn to the employee email, the Model S, and then we'll talk about the discount and if we think this deal is going to go through. You Sounds want me good. to start with, uh, you know, just on the employee email. Uh, in the email, he readily admits something that I think everyone knows. Uh, we're gonna Tesla is going to need to raise cash in Q4. Tesla is burning a lot of money. Now, there's nothing wrong with burning money. They're doing a lot of R&D. They're building new plants to build all these giant, awesome new cars. But what he's saying is, hey, if we show a profit in Q3, we'll be able to raise money at better terms because people will say, oh, the company is profitable now. And it's kind of funny to me how the difference between a $1 million profit versus a $1 million loss. You know, in the grand scheme of things for a company that's worth $20 billion, that's very small, but that type of window dressing can make such a big difference in kind of investor psyche when dealing with these battleground type stocks. Go ahead. I also have a particular concern here, which is with veracity when a CEO is saying something that if you put him on a polygraph, I'm virtually certain he would pass but he believes it is going to become true because he's saying it. And that's something that I think, uh, and I have no reason to think that this is a fraud in particular, but in the work that I've done looking in the past at accounting frauds, a lot of the early, early on signs were people who totally with goodwill said things they thought were true, but they were only true because they were saying it. You know, that's a great point. And the other point is, what if what if you can become profitable by cutting investments that would affect your income statement today, but would be great in the long term. You know, there's been great studies done of C- CFOs. They would cut a, an investment that would cause them to shrink from a profit to a loss this quarter, even if that investment would produce 200, 300, 400% IRRs, like these great investments. They'd cut them just for the optics. What if Elon Musk, you know, cut some R&D that would allow them to be the leader in self-driving cars just because they want to be profitable uh, this quarter? On the other side, you know, I, I kind of think of Amazon back in like 2003, 2004. They reported a profitable year for the first time. And then going forward, their shareholders gave them so much leeway because they could always point to, hey, we were profitable in 2003, 2004. We can be profitable whenever we want to in the future. But now you guys are going to give us the kind of rope to go out and invest a lot in marketing, to invest in international, to invest in AWS, to invest in Prime, to invest in video. And look, when you've got Jeff Bezos running the firm, it proved out hugely profitable to give him that rope. 
Uh, the same could be true of Elon Musk giving him that rope uh, by proving after one quarter of profitability. You want anything else or you want to talk about Model S? Model S. Model S. So just to me, you know, coming out with the Model S, he puts out this tweet. People get all excited. We talked about it with Elon Musk master plan with the robo taxis. That was something that budged the needle a little bit. But here you're paying $20 billion, cutting the going zero to 60 ludicrous speed from Three seconds to two and a half seconds. Yeah, it's cool, but who really cares? I, I think I really care. I think we. I think we have very different uses for a few tenths of a second of <laughs> zero to sixty uh, acceleration. Well, in my understanding, between your driving and mine. yeah, I I have been accused of being a grandma driver by everyone who's ever been in the car with me, and I I have been in the car with Chris, and no one would accuse Chris of being a grandma driver. Uh, so let's cheer, turn to I think our favorite things to talk about: investing implications, Solar sure. City discount. If you buy Solar city today for 18 deal goes through and tesla stock price doesn't move you'll make you'll get 22 dollars back about 100 percent annualized return why why is this discount why does this discount exist and what do you think happens here well i don't believe there is any particular regulatory risk no nope. i don't believe there's any particular financing risk just going through the uh the usual suspects of problems there's no financing risk because tesla's issuing shares to buy solar city so they don't there need to raise money yep. for all intents and purposes um, I believe the management's committed on both sides. Uh, it's kind of an insider run deal. Um, I think there's risk to the Tesla uh, X Elon vote. Yep. I think um, I would ask you if you were a Tesla shareholder, I believe neither of us are, but if you were, would you vote for this? Uh, and I'll give you my answer. It's a great question. So look, normally when you have a deal where one controlled company buys another controlled company, uh, the deal is kind of wrapped up. You know, mm-hmm. Elon Musk controls both companies. He doesn't own more than 50%. But he he owns enough that he would kind of control the vote. Mm-hmm. But in this case, Solar City and Tesla put in best corporate governance practices, and they said we'll ignore Elon Musk's vote and we'll only do it if the majority of our independent shareholders vote for it. And uh, people are very worried that Tesla shareholders are going to vote this deal down. And if they do, Solar City shareholders are right to be worried because I was going through the proxy earlier, and it contains a lot of language that. I, I don't think is very typical of proxy things. It contains a lot of stuff kind of around bankruptcy and special counsel and financing risks that are not typical that indicate if this deal doesn't go through, there could be a lot of downside mm-hmm. to Solar City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll let you take. What do you think a Tesla shareholder should vote for this deal? Uh, I, I think they should not. I think there's a decent chance that they will not. And there's an outside chance there are some. Uh, uh, troublemakers, uh, including Carl Icahn, who historically have walked into deals, set up huge reverse positions on deals. They used to be called Chineseing deals. I don't think you call yeah. them that anymore. But uh, he did it, for example, in Mylan King was my recollection of uh, buying the buyer to vote it down, shorting the target. And I believe he or somebody like that could come in at scale and profit on both sides of the trade substantially. So in this case, what you would do, you would buy Tesla, Correct. you would short Solar City, you would vote against the deal, the deal would break, Solar City would go down, Tesla would go up, you'd make a profit on all sides and it'd be a killing. It's hard to beat something with nothing. When somebody has a specific plan, amorphous, generalized displeasure loses. But if you have a leader and one thing with very concentrated active capital, such as Carl Icahn, uh, that people like that can really create their own luck and serve as a catalyst for other people who are similarly unhappy. You know, here's my counter. I would agree with you economically, a Tesla shareholder, all the numbers would say you should vote it down. But if you're invested in Tesla, you are not invested in Tesla for what it's currently producing. You're invested in Elon Musk and his vision of the future. And you're invested in kind of his gravitas that he's going to be able to create something great. And if you vote this deal down, you're impacting that gravitas. 
is Elon Musk really going to be thrilled to work for you? You know, Elon Musk, he's currently running three or he he runs Tesla, but he's involved in Solar City and SpaceX. If you if you vote this deal, if you vote for this deal, it kind of cuts down on the distractions. If you vote against this deal, he's going to be pissed off. Do you really want to do that to the visionary you're voting for? Investing in Tesla was investing in Elon Musk, and I think if you do that, what Elon Musk says is what is kind of what you go with. Go ahead. I, I love Vision, and I even like Gravitas. I just wouldn't pay anything for either, but that's just on behalf of myself. And again, I'm not a Tesla shareholder. Um, I would say that your points are valid, yeah. and they're especially valid for uh, cross ownership shareholders. When you look at the job of the proxy solicitors and the people who procedurally want to get the deal done, I think what they really have to work with is the people who will vote their Tesla shares on behalf of their interests in Solar City, which for anybody interested in corporate governance knows is a wholly legitimate minority shareholders have no fiduciary duty to anybody mm-hmm. and they don't have to vote on behalf of that interest they can vote for others. Yeah, I guess just my last thought, I mentioned Amazon a little bit earlier. I think there were a lot of Amazon shareholders who would have told Jeff Bezos the, the whole time, cut out AWS, cut out all these investments you're making. And because Jeff Bezos controlled Amazon, he didn't have to listen to them. And in hindsight, it was fantastic. Elon Musk has delivered this vision of Tesla and Solar City put together that shareholders don't believe right now. But, you know, nobody believed Jeff Bezos. I, I would kind of just defer to him, but you're investing because of him. Go ahead. You can have the last word, 10 seconds. Uh, last word, I would say, I often say I'm not a soothsayer, I'm just a counter. But there are a small handful of people who actually know a lot about the future. And Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are two on the list of people I could count on one hand who I think are spectacular at understanding the future. I'm just not. So uh, let's move to our next article. Uh, Article of the week. We'll spend maybe two or three minutes on each of these because we talk so much on Tesla and we didn't even cover, we forgot about the solar city bonds that Elon Musk bought bought himself. Hugely important issue. Hugely important, but whatever. There's just so much there. So article of the week, new thing we're trying. Maybe we'll continue, maybe we won't. But what we've done is we've both chosen an interesting business politics related article and we're going to discuss it. I'll take mine first, if that's okay with you, Chris. Please go ahead. Yeah. So mine was uh, a Washington Post article from, I believe, this morning called How Donald Trump Retooled His Charity to Spend Other People's Money. Uh, They did an investigation of Donald Trump, and they discussed how he's using charity money to raise money from people from other people, and then he donates that money as if it was his own. And a lot of times it ends up benefiting himself, and kind of the smoking gun they said was he spent $20,000 from his foundation to buy a six-foot-tall painting of himself. Uh, Chris, this is going to be a little hypocritical for us to talk about since how big is the painting of you we're staring at? 10 feet? 12 feet? I don't know. It's a big one. Uh, but no, the, the reason I wanted to talk about it, maybe it's just an excuse because I, I was reading uh, the Washington Post Trump Revealed book and I just wanted to talk about him a little bit. But, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting follow-up to our Elon Musk conversation. Uh, Elon Musk, one thing is... Uh, you know, he's what we say, he eats his own cooking. So a lot of mutual fund managers, you'll see them and they'll get paid millions and millions of dollars for running their mutual fund. And then you'll look at their personal investment in the mutual fund and they'll have a thousand dollars in it. And uh, they don't eat their own cooking, right? All they care about is whatever increases their salary. They don't really care if they do well for their shareholders or not. If they do great, because it might help them increase their salary, but as long as they get their salary. Elon Musk, he owns like $6 billion worth of Tesla shares and $400 million worth of Solar City shares. So he clearly eats his own cooking. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Trump wasn't donating to his charities. He was getting money from other people. And when he does that, you can have an incentive system to take other people's money and turn it into your own money unless there are good safeguards in place. Go ahead. My first thought is going through this that David Farenthold is on route to a Pulitzer. It was 
excellent research. And like what we do, he works at what's a real research shop right now. I think, uh, back to Jeff Bezos for a second. Who owns Washington Post. Post. He is really doing amazing things online, but the journalism is good. Anybody that was worried that they were going to pull back from journalism, I mean, they're committing acts of journalism on a daily basis. I think David's work on this was great. You know, Um, And it's just an interesting thought going forward. Media going forward, if the for-profit media is going to be clickbaity, is the real journalism going to be done by almost non-profit media owned by billionaires who don't care about a profit, who care about turning out these good stories? And there are conflicts there, but it's a great thought. If if, if this is a sign of what's to come, I feel very good about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Conservatives often uh, uh, land blast liberals as saying, these are people who are generous with other people's money. Well, Donald Trump in this case is somebody who's very generous with other people's money uh, quite literally. Um, you know, I, I read through this and um, one of my first reactions is I, I've long thought that there should be means tests for charity recipients in order to get a tax benefit. Mm-hmm. If spectacularly wealthy people like going to the opera, um, I think that's lovely. If they want to give riches to the opera that they like going with to, along with other wealthy people, that's lovely. That is none of the taxpayers' business. And the idea that that's nominally not-for-profit is a preposterous tax expenditure. You know, and, and the other thing I wanted to ask you, this reminded me a little bit of, we mentioned the Hershey Trust in the Hershey deal a couple of weeks ago where they had this big trust that wasn't their money. So their goal was almost turn this money into my money or into benefits for me and maybe give a little bit to uh, charity, but it's mainly to turn it into my money and my excess. And that ended up with the Hershey Trust turning down a really nice premium for a good deal for Hershey. Does this remind you of, does this remind you of that at all? Absolutely. I think that uh, if somebody looks you in the eye and says they are a for-profit entity and they're in it for the money, the likelihood that they're telling you the truth is very high. I mean, they could be dishonest people, but I think that aspect of it is honest. When people say, uh, I'm in this for the goodness of humanity and it is kind of blanket altruism kind of sprinkled amongst strangers, the likelihood that they are full of it is equally high. I think that real altruism tends to have some kind of commonality, cultural link, and tends to be close to home. And uh, this kind of thing, I think, I would say I'm very, uh, very dubious of. I also am dubious of Trump's ability to give away a lot. You know, I think we've talked in the past mm-hmm. when he was being roasted, there was this long list, yep. some, some including some horrible accusations against him that he one by one checked off he was completely fine with their mocking i mean including some truly depraved things that i won't even mention here but he said (laughs) you can mock this you can mock that i mean through very personal accusations and then it got to uh discussions of his net worth and he said don't mention that that's the one thing you can't mention the washington post book has so much on it and you're exactly right it has that exact anecdote in it and it has uh, you know, Forbes, they estimate his net worth, and whenever they estimate it too far, they've got people who, like, their whole job was to talk to the person from Donald Trump's office who was calling them every day to argue about it. Uh, they've got depositions where it, it, just everything uh, says he's way overestimated it, his net worth. It, it, it's, it's his, it's his uh, self-worth, not net worth. And, and counterfactual, you know, if somebody ever had access to, to talk to Bill Gates or, or Warren Buffett and you said, Mr. Buffett, you're not that rich. I don't think he would really argue or care or he'd think you're an idiot, perhaps. But it's one of those things that is only controversial and upsetting if it's not true. Uh, So I think, Chris, if it's okay with you, we're at about 19 minutes, so we're way over. Why don't we take your article tomorrow or later this week, if that works for you? So so we will get Chris's article in. It's a great one. I think we've got some great thoughts on it. But that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes 
iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom, wherever you get this podcast. Chris, we only talked about Tesla, Solar City, and Amazon today. I don't think we have any positions in any of them at this I point. I should have had a position in Amazon 15 or 20 years ago. <laughs> Everyone kicks themselves It over. just yep. didn't yep. happen. <laughs> so, Sadly, no disclosure. <laughs> uh, hypothetically, 10 years ago, we had a position, but in reality, no positions. And we will talk to you guys later this week.